I've got stories that led all the way up to his actual passing. I mean, my great grandfather, whether you'll find it as funny as I do or not, went out like Elvis. This man had a a home uh, indoor plumbing put in his house and refused to use it. The one time he did, he had a heart attack and died sitting on the toilet. Oh, man. Just like Elvis. This episode, we're with one of my best friends, Brandon Hillis, whose family produced Moonshine in Warren County around the same time as Slim. You're listening to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem Podcast. Episode 5, By Blood We Are Connected. Let's recap the big pieces of information. Slim was shot in 1937, shortly after his taxi and family car were confiscated by law enforcement. Next, their house mysteriously caught fire. Lillian, my great-grandmother, took off and left her three young sons with their grandparents. So now that we're all caught up, let's get back to Brandon and his family's story. Brandon and I are talking on his back porch. He's sitting in a rocking chair, keeping within the sacred art that is storytelling. It's an art that's handed down from his ancestors, and yours, and mine. Oh man, Um, my entire life, um, if if your listeners or if you know my grandpa and and know my family, they're very burly men. Uh, My grandpa's a stand-up member of the citizen, but my Uncle Jot's really rough around the edges. And he's that way because he grew up basically replicating his father. And um, like I said, my whole life, he uh, he's told us stories about the smokehouse is what he called it. Um, and this building's still standing today. And as far as I know, there's still copper tubes in it. But uh, my great-grandfather was a moonshiner. And from what I understand in our town, uh, the lower class air quotation, if you will, were, I mean, my great grandfather worked on a farm and he made, you know, pennies basically. So they had to do something to put food on the table. Um, and so moonshine was just what he did. Um, I've heard stories my whole life of people showing up at funny times at night, or, uh, there'd be times when my grandpa and all of his brothers would be outside and, you know, his, their dad would say, stay away from the smokehouse. You know, they, they, they would be a couple guys out there. And, and that's, you know, as they got older, they learned that's what they were doing. They were making moonshine. Um, I don't think that they made it on such a large level that they had runners and things like that. But for all I know, they could have been, you know, one still of a bigger operation. That was always kind of kept hush hush uh i guess from the kids my my uncle and grandpa didn't even know paul was running shine until they were well into their teen years like uh jot (laughs) pa and jot and their my uncle charlie snuck down there and and basically pulled an andy griffith show and thought it was water and was drinking it and thought it was stagnant water and uh started and got drunk jock was like 11 years old and they got drunk off moonshine didn't even know it and they got the crap beat out of them for going around it because they're never supposed to go he's never supposed to go in the smokehouse and 
I can take you to it, man. Like it's just this. It looks like an outhouse, and uh, there's copper t- there's copper tubes and all kinds of stuff still in there. My uncle Jot, he lives in the house he was born in, and he refused to throw any of that away. When my grand when my great grandpa died, it was just like everything in that house turned into a shrine to him because he was his hero. You know, like it's just it's crazy. I don't think Jot ever did any of it. But, I mean, he just idolized the man. And, and really, if you think about it, that's like the poster child for a 1930s farmer, you know, overalls every day, long sleeve shirts in the summertime and making moonshine. Like, does it get any more era than that? During the Great Depression, during times of war, everyone was just trying to survive. Slim was just trying to survive, as was Brandon's family. Apparently, everyone in the town was bending the law to get by, even those who were supposed to uphold the law, even them. You grew up with stories like you grew up with of your great-grandfather, and I grew up with stories like I did of mine, and they're so similar and so aligned, except for one of them ends abruptly. And in this town, in that era, there, I don't think you'll ever meet a person that would sit and argue with you that the odds of what you believe to be true is not true. Because when I spoke, you know, when I spoke about it, trying to dig up what I could to help you with this project, when I even mentioned somebody disappearing, it was like they didn't even have to, he didn't even have to think twice and being like, yeah, well, you know, sometimes that happened. But you did what you had to do to survive. And that it just makes you open your eyes up and be like, man, on every level, thing, times were that tough that it just it didn't matter that there was a man that had children at home that were basically toddlers. Like, it's, it, it's crazy to me. We had, what we have to remember about that period of time like like I said earlier, um, you did what you had to do to provide for your family. And we're talking, at least from my side, um, I don't know how many, about your, you know, your grandfather, how many brothers or sisters he actually has, but on my side of it, it was four boys and uh, a daughter that was handicapped. So you're, you've got mouths to feed and you're making pennies. You know, you're going to do whatever you have to do by any means necessary when money's not handy to, to get yourself there. And uh, one of the things that my my uncle would talk about and, and had talked about after you know you and I had talked was um, there was there was revenue men here, which is so to me it's so crazy because you know you, you always hear about the Copperhead Road, you know the, the revenue man, and it's it's crazy to think that there was a government official that ran around here and and you knew like they the boys the my uncle and grandfather they knew this man by name. Um, just because, you know, my grandpa and, or my great grandfather, I should say, would, would talk about him all the time and, and he would, he would bust you. And apparently even he was crooked. And I don't think that was unheard of in that, in that era for, um, the people that was associated and and even law enforcement to be crooked. Um, there were stories about Sheriff uh, that, you know, he had a room full of moonshine that he would hand out when election time rolled around. So 
McMinnville being what it was and just the history of this town, it, it makes complete sense that uh, its foundation would be built off bootlegging in, in that era because what else were there besides, you know, what my grandfather and, and everybody did, and that was loggers and farmers. According to J.A. Bolton in his blog Moonshiners and Revenuers, old-time revenuers regard the secret making and selling of illegal whiskey not as a criminal offense but as a tax violation. These men and occasional women put in 60 to 80 hours a week at work and almost never take a vacation. Their primary job is to stop the making and selling of non-tax paid liquor and more recently the growing and selling of illegal drugs. The last big boom in the white liquor business was during the 60s and early 70s. It collapsed partly because of the rise in sugar prices and partly because merchants were required by the federal government to report all large purchases of sugar, although some did not. A lot of times an ABC officer worked alone, but sometimes with a trainee. When a large operation was being raided, several officers or local law enforcement might work together to arrest the shiners and destroy the still. Not only do ABC officers check out illegal stills, they also watch for and catch liquor selling bootleggers. Most bootleggers operate after the local liquor store closes. Moonshine and even illegally bought liquor is sold by the drink, pint, and quart jars, or in half-gallon or gallon milk jugs. It is sold out of houses and apartments, at crossroads stores, filling stations, at the back door of hotels, in parking lots, and just about any place you can think of. Brandon and I try to get in the minds of our ancestors living during that time. And, of course, we'll talk fictitiously because you or I weren't alive in that era, and all we really do have is is uh, stories from our elders. But if you lived in a small town where money was very well controlled by the, the wealthier people in it, and um, you had the option of maintaining the control over relatively large illegal sums of money in a basically lawless era still, would you not? Would you not want to keep your finger as tight on that pulse as possible, especially knowing that most of the uh, elected officials could have potentially had their hands in this too? How much corruption was going on in this time? In this little small Tennessee town, of course we're speculating, but with Brandon's stories of a corrupt sheriff and revenue man, I can't help but ask myself the big question. Could this be the man I've been looking for this entire time? Well, and and think about, I know I'll probably say it a million times, but think about the era. Uh, It was almost the 30s and 40s and even into the 50s. It was almost like uh, having emotion was a weakness and from the men perspective of things they you you really didn't want that to be shown you know like it you and i could talk about how we feel all day long and it'd be perfectly acceptable but do you honestly think that our great grandfather sat around and and even talked about uh emotional difficulties with their wives you know or uh or anything like that And this holds true with my family back then. Slim's parents didn't discuss his death. 
neither did Lillian. It, with your family, um, I grew up in a, in a time where the Hillis air quotation, the Hillis name, you know, was pretty well known around here. I mean, my grandpa was the, the chief of the rescue squad my whole life and he had, he had a thing and, and the merits themselves. I mean, you guys have your business and in McMinnville. So to put ourselves in a time period where, uh, for all we know, the Hillises could have been looked down on because of what we were just poor scraping by eating biscuits, everyday people. Brandon may be onto something. He said his family may have been looked down upon. I know mine during this time weren't well known by any means, and they had only been in Warren County for 20 years. If the town knew what Slim was doing, I know a majority of that town would have disapproved. But could disapproval have escalated to murder? You know, we grew up with people knowing our names. And to go back to a time where our names could have been mud, you know, is a, is a crazy thought because, you know, here, here was your great grandpa who was a moonshine runner. Here was mine who was just a dirt poor guy that was making it, you know, like it's crazy to think about how the uh, eras had in time, how the uh, reputations could have potentially changed. How far into the to the process like like i said you know with the police officers the the rumors that i'd always heard anyway about the the sheriff having the the room with the shine and the revenue man running around how far removed are you from assuming at this point in your in your journey that uh, the death certificate is accurate i wholeheartedly believe that the death certificate is inaccurate there's too much mystery shrouding the certificate of deaths and I say that in plural, John High's copy and the state's copy. But at the end of the day, 34-year-old healthy men don't suddenly die of liver cancer, period. I have an intuition that the prognosis on the death certificate was just to mock Slim's profession. But there seems to be a reoccurring theme here, the revenue man. Who were the revenue men in Warren County? Oh, yeah. Um, as I'd heard, um, which if if I could call his name, uh, I would. But just truth be told, those stories come so fast sometimes when they're talking about it that I just was lost to the name right now. Um, apparently, he would show up and make his rounds as you would imagine, you know, a revenue man would. Um, but... From what I understand, the Andy Griffith level of the revenue man was just inaccurate. He would show up and bust steals instead of busting steals. Um, you know, evidence would magically disappear at times. Uh, this, from the way I've always heard them speak of this man, he was somebody to be feared, and he was somebody that you didn't cross, and not simply because um, you could potentially lose your your steal. Um, they, it, you know, like I said, my uncle Jot, when he, he was telling these stories to me, uh, spoke of him in fear. And from what I understood, it, it took a lot to scare my great grandfather. Uh, I mean, there's stories I could tell about him where it was just the manliest of the manly. And, uh, when his name was spoken, it would, it, it could silence this man. So the, um, 
it, it's crazy for me to really process, you know, little Warren County having uh, it, a federal agent if he was, in fact, federal, like, mom, you know, the, this federal could be anything, state or whatever, but he always said he was a federal revenue man. Um, just wandering around the county and being so present in the county that people knew him by name is is pretty impressive to me, you know, to think about our little hometown hosting somebody like that and having somebody feared that way. Take a minute to listen to a word from our sponsors. Are you interested in hearing stories that seem too crazy to be real? Like how Belgium almost changed the mail delivery game by using cats as mail carriers? Man, I wish they still did so the little monsters could earn their keep for once. Or how a sexually frustrated dolphin named Zephyr cleared the beaches of France? Ugh, in the running for the biggest aquatic creep of all time. If so, go to bit.ly forward slash figment of my reality or whatever podcast app you use to subscribe and listen to Figment of My Reality every Tuesday as we take our tour through history that makes the truth seem stranger than fiction. Now back to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem podcast. Every living thing has origins and ancestors. We are all part of the chain of life. We owe our existence to those who came before us. Simply put, if they hadn't lived, we would have no life. And yet most people ignore their antecedents and have no knowledge and what or who preceded them. A tree cannot ignore its roots or will get no nourishment. The same is true for us. We can be nurtured by our roots, even if we weren't healthy. They may have been toxic, but they also endowed us with intelligence, talents, and positive attributes. We can honor those who came before us and what they endured so we could have life. By Judith Fain, excerpt from Psychology Today. I've never felt closer to people I never knew, but by our blood, we are connected. I have felt emotion, anger, hurt, and pain reading through those documents about Slim, my great-grandfather. The same documents that I know Lillian might have held as she struggled to make decisions about her husband's funeral. It was like watching a movie and getting caught up in the emotion, but this isn't fiction. These characters are not made up from a writer in Hollywood. All of this really happened. And the pain that has never been answered for has been passed down to me. It's been passed down to me to do something about it. It just so happens that it was your family, which makes it even more of a passion project. I, I applaud you, man. Um, I, think, I think that what you're doing is noble. And I think that what you're doing, so far removed from any impact, uh, I mean, it won't be very much longer before those stories could could be lost. You know, it's it the uh, the just the necessity to bring peace to something and closure to something uh, is is super impressive, and um, I really hope that as we go through this journey, uh, that I get to watch you get to find answers, whatever the answer may be. Currently, I'm researching 
local law enforcement, sheriffs, and the revenue men who were operating during that time in Warren County. But before we get into that, for the next episode, I want to take you down a rabbit hole. I have a theory that's based on a newspaper clipping, a clipping that I alluded to last episode that seemed to prove Slim might have been working with one of the most well-known bootleggers of all time. The most well-known gangster of all time. The original Scarface. Thank you for listening to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem Podcast. If you have any information, please contact us at moonshinemurderandmayhem at gmail.com or message us on the Facebook group.